Hello, stranger. Do you like to read? Read? What's happening? Am I dead? I bet you like zombie books. I like food. Do you have food? You don't need food at dividedbyzerobooks.com. It's full of nutrient-rich science fiction. Ugh, I'm stuck in an ad, aren't I? Once I stop talking, reality will collapse until someone plays this ad again. This isn't the first time we've had this discussion, and it won't be the last. Hello, stranger. Do you like to read? <laughs> you know, it's funny. When I was younger, I just didn't think the end of the world would take this long. I grew up in the town of Holland, Michigan. I spent about 10 years there as a kid, and we recycled even back then, although it wasn't really for any sort of environmental reasons. You could return a pop can, a beer bottle, a soda bottle for 10 cents to participating gas stations, grocery stores. That's It's a thing that the state of Michigan subsidized, and so... When you grew up without any money, you walked up and down the street looking for old pop bottles just to turn in, just to make a few bucks. And that's what my brother and I would do. And when we collect 20, 30 pop cans, pop bottles, get 2 or $3 together, this would have been the late 90s, early 2000s, maybe, maybe 2003. And we'd get to the gas station with our bounty, we'd turn into 30 pop bottles, and we'd get something called Fago Soda, which was a local regional brand, kind of a generic knockoff, where you can get a 3-liter bottle for 99 cents. It's caffeinated sugar water, is all it really was. And we get these little Debbie snack cakes for a quarter apiece, and we'd take that across the street, across the highway, uh, dodging trucks and riding our bikes as fast as we could, uh, to the Barnes and Noble and sit there all day and read comic books and buy nothing <laughs> and probably just, you know, get soda and chocolate and Cheeto dust all over the comic books. And we also used to, uh, garden. We used to plant tomatoes and cucumbers and dad always had this vegetable garden in the backyard and I remember working the garden with my brother we were just kids and we pretended we were working in some big farm or something and it was good it was a good time I learned how to grow food that way and dad was always big too on making his own furniture, sort of repurposing old discarded things, kind of reusing things until they wore out. Things that are kind of in vogue now a little bit in sort of the more environmentally conscious circles of people. We were doing that before it was cool just because we were broke. <laughs> now, it, a lot of the things we did when I was a kid seemed to be popular again. <laughs> And it's funny, I I spent a lot of time kind of 
distancing myself from that sort of lifestyle because doing those things reminded me of what we did when I was a kid. You know, I just didn't want to be in your 20s. You kind of reinvent yourself eight or nine times. And right up to before the pandemic, I was exploring kind of what it meant to be, you know, just a city guy living a city life. I didn't have weeks and weeks and months and months of groceries on hand. I didn't really worry about recycling. And I certainly didn't grow any food on my own. I just kind of worked a job and kept my house clean and didn't bother anybody. And then the pandemic hit. And all of the things I learned as a kid started to make sense again. And I had to relearn what we used to do and why. I remember when the world closed in the spring of 2020. And it closed a little bit at a time. A city here, a country there. None of us really knew what was going on. We just knew it wasn't good. And the society, the lifestyle, the grid that we had become so accustomed to relying on that seemed so immovable, so permanent, so forever, started to look very temporary. There is about a five-minute period there where we all thought this was the stand. We didn't know how bad this was going to be. And I could only go off of movies and books I had read. And there was this movie called Contagion, where people had uh, lost trash service, right? Because in the movie, there was a virus that was killing people all over the world, much, much worse than COVID. And so there's footage in the Contagion movie of just piles of trash. And so I didn't really have a long-term solution for trash itself, but... I had a couple short-term solutions that give us some time, you know. Uh, we recycle, which is good. And so I figured, oh, I could just wash the plastic and then keep it in a basement, just sit on it for a minute. And half of the garbage in a trash bag is uh, either things that could be recycled or organic compostable waste, you know, things that could be broken down so then that way what the trash that you're building producing is reduced considerably and the idea being if you could reduce the amount of trash that you need to be sent out to the world to a landfill because there was a moment where they stopped big trash pickup people were calling off sick and i thought maybe trash goes every other week maybe it's every month right 
And if it goes to every month, how do I set up my lifestyle to where we're producing the least amount of trash that needs to go out to a landfill as possible? And so I started asking questions, asking friends, did anybody know what composting was? How do I do this? Nobody in my circle was composting at that time. And they kind of had some general ideas. And I want to say my father suggested, you know, you could just dig a hole in the ground. And I thought, oh, well, let's do that. So in April 2020, March, something like that, I'm in the backyard with a little tiny e-tool looking shovel and just digging a hole. I want to say this was after 15 days to slow the spread had turned into 30 and I must have looked like quite the madman digging a hole. Uh, but, you know, it was where I started with this. I just threw scraps in there, table scraps. I started researching what all could be composted, right? And there's this interesting list of things that go in a compost, right? Vegetables go, uh... Paper towels can go in, but as long as you didn't use them to clean up any sort of, like, Windex chemicals or anything. If you just used paper towels to wipe your face with at dinner, those can go in the compost. No meat products, but chicken egg shells can. And after a while, I realized the hole wasn't really big enough. And... I started expanding the operation. I had these two big plastic shipping boxes that I had used to send gear back and forth from Iraq. Different personal stuff, mementos, that sort of thing. And I have just been moving with them since 2009. And they were kind of at the point where they were on their last legs. So I filled them full of dirt that I got off a family member and I started putting compost scraps in there and then it grew and I had this line of like five compost boxes and another common use for compost is fertilizer for gardens. It helps you enrich the soil with new nutrients and kind of help your plants grow better. During that first spring of the pandemic in 2020, while I was learning about composting, I was also learning about gardening, or relearning about gardening, really. I had no plan. I was going off half-remembered things I did as a kid, and I remember as the world closed and how people were scrambling to get whatever they could and the stores emptied one by one. I was at a Lowe's. I had an old painter's mask because that's all I had at the time. And I had my leather jacket and 
going to that Lowe's and thinking, oh, I need to put together a garden in like five seconds. So what do I need? I need a shovel. I need a rake. I need a hoe. And I remember seeing all of the people with the different mask and the different... I didn't see anybody with a plastic bag over their head, thank the Lord. But I remember all of us were so distant from each other, so scared of one another, so afraid to be wrong, because to be wrong means you risk death. And the stakes were so high with simple conversations back then. And when I brought all the seeds and the rakes and the hose and the shovels back to the car, I remember taking those Clorox wipes and just w wiping down, disinfecting my jacket taking the hand sanitizer and disinfecting my hands, Clorox wiping the doors and the handles. This is back when the guidance was that the virus traveled mostly on surfaces and back when everybody was disinfecting their groceries. And, and I just got seeds and threw them in the ground to see what happens. And honestly, that first year, not much. I had more growing out of that compost hole than any sort of planned garden that I could come up with. And so I had all this like scraps of butternut squash in the compost hole that I dug. And it grew like weeds, like a vine. But the funny thing about my yard, my house, is that it's a hundred years old. And I live in the middle of a city. And so when you have a hundred year old house in the middle of a city, you run into a lot of lead problems. My dirt, the dirt that's like native to my house, uh, has a high concentration of lead in it. Not so much that it's dangerous for us to like mow the lawn or just walk around or whatever. But if I grew food in it, then it w could be an issue, right? Like I would have to like special treat the food and wash it in a certain way. And, you know, if you got to do that, then it's probably not worth it if, you know, the grocery store is still open, right? <laughs> like... And at no point did we get to a desperate situation with food. If we weren't being paid to do it, we just didn't really bother with recycling. Because when you broke... Everything you do is for money. Now, okay, money isn't everything, but it's like most things. You take it away, oh man, things fall apart real fast. So, with recycling, the idea of going from being paid to recycle to paying someone to recycle as like a bi-monthly pickup service through our local recycling company made zero sense. You know, if we're going to the food bank to get food, we're not worried about recycling that month. And that kind of stayed that way. 
until I met my wife. I was a junior in college, and I graduated college. I was probably about 30 when I finished my four-year degree. And I met her, and she'd already been teaching for a while. She had this really fancy apartment downtown, and she was recycling. And I recycled just enough to make her happy. And as my life got better, as money became less of a concern, recycling didn't seem as silly, right? And then the pandemic hit, and I'm trying to stretch out the amount of time in between trash pickups because I'm worried that we're going to lose city trash. And so I am I know we could wash the trash because you're supposed to wash the trash before you put it in the recycling so it doesn't contaminate the lot, apparently. And I remember thinking, oh, we could just wash the trash and just sit on it in the basement. Right, like the recyclable trash, you know. And as we did that for a little bit, just so I can kind of see what it looked like. And then as I'm doing that, I'm realizing just how much trash two average middle class people in the American Midwest produce. Right. And it's a lot. Like, all of the stuff in your life is like plastic. Right. And it's just it's just all over the place. It's 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 insane. And and as the world was closed, as I was kind of investigating recycling, looking for alternative ways to do stuff or how do I set us up to consume less so we have to to dispose of less. I started investigating the different types of recycling materials, you know, like on the bottom of like a plastic bottle, there's typically the recycling symbol and a number. And my information's a year or two old, so this might be different now. But when I was researching this, it said something like, that's how you tell the different types of plastic polymers. There's seven numbers, one through seven. One and two will actually get recycled. It's more profitable to recycle number one and two than to use virgin plastic material. And recycling plants themselves have a lot of issues with things like people doing something called wish cycling, right? Where they'll just say, oh, I hope this is recyclable and just throw everything in there like a umbrella and stuff like that which it clearly isn't so i started doing real good research like if i thought if i'm gonna do this and i'm gonna actually give a shit then i'm gonna know what i'm doing a little bit right just enough to where you know i'm not going to be the guy that saves the environment all by myself but maybe I can be the guy that consciously does the least amount of damage possible. I live a comfortable life, but within that comfortable life, if I can monitor my consumption and make it as a small a footprint as I can, that's my goal, 
right? I can't fix the problem. I can go out of my way to not make it worse as best I can. It's kind of my philosophy of life. And I remember the spring of 21 when my wife was getting the second dose of a COVID vaccine. It should have been March 21, something like that. And we were in this Kroger. And in the Kroger, I was just nervous because this thing that I had been waiting for for so long was here. My wife, who was a teacher during the pandemic, is finally getting vaccinated. And I had been learning more about recycling throughout the course of the pandemic. I had been figuring out the best way to buy products, buy groceries, things that had a number one or a number two on them. Trying to do the least amount of damage. And so I'm walking around this Kroger, and I just, I see it. I see all the plastic. And I'm like, oh, oh, they wrap plastic around individual potatoes here. Oh, oh, that goes somewhere. This all goes somewhere. Where does it go? In a landfill, as burnt carbon in the sky, uh, the water, the rain at this point, um, nah. <laughs> world's kind of scary once you start to understand what plastic really is. <laughs> And the deal we made with the devil for it. And how we'll all pay for that one. Humans have this weird thing about numbers changing. And they want to instill all this importance in the numbers for some reason. But when the century was changing, when the millennium was changing, it was this big event where the computer systems weren't set to run on a two. Everything was set to 19-something instead of 20-something. And... Everybody was worried that this was going to be the end of the world. And I remember watching people on TV, because TV back then, much like it does now, finds a thing that people are scared of and then just amps it up to a thousand. And there were people saying, there's going to be no power and everything's going to fall apart. In six months, people are going to be fighting to the death for the last can of beans. And, I mean, none of that happened. But <laughs> I remember looking to my dad, and I'm like, hey, do we need to worry about this? And he's like, probably not. But, you know, we'll buy some extra beans just in case. And then we did. We We bought extra beans, I guess. Nothing too crazy. Nothing... We never, 
had the idea of grocery stores in America running out of food potentially and having supply issues was a completely foreign concept back then. It was like, well, it was like water catching fire. So we live in an interesting time now (laughs) because sometimes the water catches fire. (laughs) But, you know, but I don't ever remember going hungry, hungry as a kid, right? There were a few times when the food wasn't as fresh as I would have liked. And I have kind of a sensitive stomach. So sometimes if the food was on the older side, then it would make me kind of sick. But that was all we had. So that's what I had to eat. And when I was in the Army, when I was in the National Guard... We actually had a week where we spent on half rations because they had this mobile, like, uh, chow hall cook trailer thing that they would set up, and it caught fire, and it burned to the ground. And so, for some reason, we only had half rations for a week. And it doesn't sound like a lot of time a week, but holy shit, (laughs) like you're running around the woods all the time. You're, you know, you're camping and there's not enough food. So you're kind of, you're already stressed out because you made a bad life choice and you joined the army and there's no, there's not enough food. Like I remember... They handed us, we were out in the field, they handed us two plates, and one for me. I thought, it. I, if you hand me a plate and you hand my soldier a plate, I'm thinking, oh, those are both our servings. No, we were supposed to split the food that was on one plate because we were on half rations. I was so hungry, I just ate whatever they handed me. And... You would have thought I had sold the nuclear codes to the Saudis or something. Like, it was such a big deal. And they they fucking, like, I remember them just berating me until I was in tears because of it, right? Like, I will never forgive some people for the way they behave because we were in Indiana, kids. Like, we had cell phones and Domino's delivered on the base. And I had to go through that. (laughs) So when COVID hit, when the grocery stores in March of 2020 started to empty out real fast with all the panic buying, uh, I had some fun, unresolved issues about food scarcity, right? And I remember being in the grocery line, and this is when all of us are realizing, hey, this is a thing, and it's happening, and it's happening now. And we're all just getting whatever our bank accounts will get us, (laughs) Just dumping money at the grocery store and at Walgreens and at Lowe's. And there's this woman 
who only has enough to get everything but the bag of oranges. So she puts the oranges back, and then I told the cashier, hey, I'll buy her those oranges, put those on my tab. And she turns to me, and there's this look of sadness and appreciation and kind of fear in her eyes. Like, there was fear in my eyes, there's fear in the cashier's eyes. And I said, hey, we got to stick together on this. And then that same day, when I get out to the parking lot, there's a homeless guy begging for food. And I'm thinking, oh, oh, he doesn't have anywhere to shelter in place. And so I was going to offer him a bag of chips. But then he smiles and reveals he has no teeth in his head. And so I just give him like the softest bag of bread that I have. And I told him, good luck and God bless. And throughout the shutdown, throughout the first few months of the pandemic, my wife and I did our best to keep one step ahead of the panic buying herd, right? Because things just kept running out of stock, right? Toilet paper was the big one everyone remembers. But soap, things to clean with, those you couldn't find. You couldn't find Lysol, anything. Uh, Hand sanitizer was gone very fast. But then it moved to hand soap. And as hand soap was disappearing, I kept trying to think of ways to stay ahead. So I thought, oh, we'll just stock up on dish soap. And I applied that to food. I started buying things for the long term, right? Mostly cans, a little bit of dry stuff, a lot of noodles. Noodles last forever if you keep them dry. I remember in March of 2020 thinking, hey, this maybe this will be over in May of 2020. I know, it's adorable. And so throughout the years of the pandemic, I would stock up on cans of beans, cans of soup, buy a bunch of things to where we're good for several months and then wind those supplies down, right? And so I went from pre-pandemic only having maybe a week's worth of stuff on hand to having weeks, if not months, of stuff on hand consistently throughout the whole experience. Because at first time I walked into a grocery store and saw it mostly empty or 50% empty, right? A 50% empty grocery store is terrifying because that means half the food's gone. And I thought, oh, you need to insulate your family throughout any future supply shocks. And you need to, as a husband, it is your responsibility to stay on top of all future supply shock. And so I've kept a stupid amount of toilet paper on hand for since March 2020. So right before the Ukraine war kicked off, I was thinking, hey, maybe we don't have to keep everything stockpiled anymore. And then the Ukraine war hit. I also didn't know that the food we're eating now was grown last year, right? Like the cereal in your cereal bowl was grown the year before, typically. And so there's a massive disruption in food, especially with 
food in the poorer countries. Now, luckily, America is so self-sufficient when it comes to food that we can kind of feed ourselves. And so with all of that, I started thinking, oh, I need minimum three months of food on hand. Minimum, right? And so I thought, oh, how many? There's two people in my household. That's 4,000 calories a day. And I just started buying beans, and rice, and then I stopped counting at 90 days worth of calories, right? That gave me kind of a level sense of comfort, you know. It's a bit of a security blanket for me, to be honest. And I suppose that's what prepping boils down to, is a security blanket, a sense of control, in a world that seems to be ever increasingly spinning out of control in a lot of ways. The basics boil down to having a three-day plan. If you're totally on your own, you can handle any sort of situation, right? Medical, water, sewage, whatever. I was just happy to have some sort of response, right? Your plan doesn't have to be perfect. It doesn't have to take into account every single variable or possible variable because how could it? You're planning against disaster. All you need is like a plan. Knowing that you're probably going to throw out 90% of that plan. But gosh, 10% of that plan, that's going to be really good. And you're going to adapt a bunch. And you're going to roll with the punches. And you're going to keep moving. Even as the plan keeps changing. Even as the world gets more increasingly chaotic. Now, you had told me that <laughs> the end of the world was going to take this long. I wouldn't have believed you. But <laughs> you know, hey, no, I know the world's not going to end. But it sure... Feels like some days we're more increasingly on our own than we used to be. Things don't seem to work as well. You know, the stuff we used to rely on is less and less reliable. So I find myself adjusting to a more prepper mindset and not out of a sense of the government's going to take my guns. No, they're not. It's more... I can see the slow decay happening in the systems that we grew to rely on up to 2019. Because in a real emergency, in a real life or death situation, hours mean everything. And so you buy as many hours as you can. Anyway, that's all for me today. Thanks for listening. I'll check back in next Monday morning at 0700.